Welcome to the podcast of Constanji Brooks, Smith & Profit, in which we discuss labor and employment news and provide practical tips that you can use at your company or in your practice. I'm your host, Susan Basford-Wilson, and for today's episode, I'd like to talk about the gig economy, what it is, what exposure it might create for a company, and how you can reduce that risk. But first, what is the gig economy? And how did we get here? While reasonable minds can disagree on how exactly to define the gig economy, generally speaking, it has three main parts. First, an independent worker who is paid to perform a gig, a discrete task, project, or service. Second, a consumer who needs that specific service. And third, a digital platform that directly connects the gig worker to the consumer. Well, where did this come from? I would argue that the gig economy grew out of the intersection of several huge forces. Lifestyle choices made by different generations who perhaps now want something different out of work. Unprecedented technology where a worker never needs to set foot in an actual brick-and-mortar business in order to work for that business. Economic upheaval for those who came out of school during the Great Recession and those who haven't been able to retire as they hoped. And the globalization of the economy. While the classic example of a gig worker is a ride-hail company like Uber or Lyft, It also covers people who deliver groceries, walk your dog, perform housekeeping services, and it covers white-collar professionals, especially for short projects. Using gig workers in a business can be a great way to lower costs, increase your talent pool, provide flexibility for short-term or one-time projects, and scale up or down quickly. But it does create some challenges and some anxiety for companies. And the main concern that I hear about from my clients is misclassification. There's this great quote from a federal judge in California that I think is so apt when we're talking about misclassification concerns in the gig economy. After discussing various factors that weigh toward whether this Lyft driver, who is, of course, a quintessential gig worker, was an employee or an independent contractor, this judge said, the jury in this case will be handed a square peg and asked to choose between two round holes. Those two round holes, of course, are whether a worker is an employee or an independent contractor. I think it's safe to say that the Fair Labor Standards Act and similar state laws were not drafted with Uber in mind. The internet was not yet a twinkle in Al Gore's eye in 1938 when Filsa first appeared. And I'm also fairly confident that even 20 years ago, no one thought that the average man on the street would be able to click open an app on his touchscreen phone to find work for the day. So it's not surprising that trying to figure out whether a Lyft driver is an employee or an independent contractor has generated a significant amount of litigation. As Juliet so famously said, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And of course, an employee by any other name is still an employee, whether or not 
you call that person an independent contractor, you can still end up on the hook for minimum wage and overtime if that individual was misclassified. With the unique characteristics of the gig economy, perhaps we need another classification. Um, some cities and states have jumped into the ring on this issue and created general marketplace contractor statutes or ordinances specific to ride-hailing companies. And that has certainly created a challenging landscape for multi-state employers to navigate. Perhaps, ultimately, Congress will step in and provide a nationwide consistent way to assess workers that takes into account the new technology and the new challenges in the 21st century. But it hasn't happened yet. And so that means that the determination of whether a worker is an employee or an independent contractor depends on the facts of the specific situation. It depends on which test is applied be it the economic realities test under FILSA, California's ABC test, the Darden common law test, or some hybrid of all of these. And it will depend on how that test is interpreted, which I frequently describe as how strong was the judge's coffee that morning. It's entirely possible for someone to be an employee under one test for one purpose under one federal statute, and to be an independent contractor for other purposes under a separate one. It's also possible for someone who provides two different types of services to one organization to be both an independent contractor and an employee. And it's possible for courts applying the same test to reach different results. I will note, though, that several federal administrative agencies have weighed in on the subject this year, though. The United States Department of Labor issued an opinion letter in April where it evaluated whether individuals that were part of an unidentified virtual marketplace company platform um, that offered services to consumers were employees or independent contractors. The DOL considered factors like control, permanency, investment, skill, and the individual's opportunity for profit and loss. The DOL concluded there that the workers were independent contractors under the Fair Labor Standards Act, and thus they were not legally entitled to the federal protections that it provides, such as minimum wage and overtime. That is a huge opinion that I expect will cause some ripples in wage and hour circles for years to come. The National Labor Relations Board has also joined the conversation. Um, In April, the National Labor Relations Board's general counsel's office determined that Uber drivers are independent contractors and not employees under the National Labor Relations Act applying its newly reinstated common law agency test. The general counsel's office considered factors like the Uber driver's control over their vehicles, work schedules, work locations, and critically, their ability to work for competitors. And this decision is huge because workers not covered by the National Labor Relations Act can't file unfair labor practices charges or engage in union organization. 
and here the underlying charges were ordered to be withdrawn. So knowing that it's basically impossible to guarantee the outcome of any given misclassification battle, what should companies looking to use gig workers do to at least cut down on the chance that they will be found to have misclassified a worker? In general, treat your employees like employees and treat your independent contractors like independent contractors. When you're quote unquote onboarding, please don't give a gig worker exactly the same orientation that you give an employee. How much does a gig worker need to know in order to perform the job? I'd strip out the unnecessary training and streamline the rest. You can also consider having a separate policy manual that sets forth the information that a gig worker needs to know in order to do their job. Information about health and safety, applicable standards of conduct, but which doesn't also provide them information about employee benefits, overtime and minimum wage guidelines, and when they can expect a performance review. For independent contractors, you need to contractually spell out the details regarding the duration of the gig, exit procedures, confidentiality, considerations, and expectations. But again, I would think about not just handing them a copy of the employee handbook and calling it good. For independent contractors, gig workers, you won't be controlling the details of how the work is performed. You'll be focused on the end result instead. You won't be paying them like an employee, you pay them by the project or with an agreed upon flat fee based on the invoices rather than through payroll. And consider requiring arbitration agreements with class action waivers. Though that, of course, is a whole podcast in and of itself. In general, I'm a huge fan of training, but I'm particularly excited about it for an issue like this that is technical and easily misunderstood. I think training your management and your employees about the proper use and care of gig workers is critical. It helps align everyone's expectations. And please don't provide someone with an office, put their name on the door, give them a computer and business cards, and tell your labor and employment lawyer that yes, Bert, he's an independent contractor. Oh, he's been with us for 20 something years now. That happened to a colleague of mine. So with those tips, let's wrap up this episode of Constangie's podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today to talk about the gig economy. And if you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you.